Many of us have heard about the seven deadly sins, that pride is one of those seven deadly sins that are hard to define. Oh, yes, I know the dictionaries and the books are full of definitions of pride, but in reality, pride is better understood by its symptoms than by definition. So what are the symptoms of pride? Well, listen carefully. I'm going to read nine of them. Nine symptoms of pride. One, stealing from God's glory and taking credit for gifts that He has given us. Number two, self-centeredness. Number three, a determined spirit. Number four, the feeling of superiority. Number five, psychasm. Number six, a judgmental and a critical spirit. Number seven, I wish it wasn't there, but it is here, impatience. Number eight is unteachable spirit. And number nine is self-pity. Self-pity. The truth is that we all, at some point in our lives, and I'm talking about Christians, believers who know and love the Lord, each one of us at some point in our lives have struggled with one of these symptoms or more, or all of these symptoms. And so the question is, how do we have victory over pride? I'm not the kind of preacher that I'm going to hammer things to death and about pride, but I'm going to focus on the positive living. How do you have victory over it? I want to give you a couple of things before I get to my sermons. A couple of remedies. These are not experimental medication. The doctor is in the house, and he's going to give you a prescription. A couple of things that come out of my own personal experience, and they are proved by the WOG, the Word of God, just in case you didn't get it. Here's the prescription. Express utter dependence on God daily in every area of your life, both publicly and privately. And secondly, come to terms with your fears. Come to terms with your failures. Come to terms with your insecurities. Define them, confess them, and daily claim victory over them. Someone said, pride is like a beard. You have to shave it every day. You cannot let it grow without looking scruffy. Peter Marshall had a great advice about pride, <laughs> and it's very succinct. He said, when successful, don't crow. When defeated, don't croak. I love that. But still, there are some people who are still confused about pride. There really are. There are people who are still confused about one of those seven deadly sins. I read about this young pastor who was preaching his heart out against pride, and he preached against pride. The whole morning preached against pride. And at the end of the service, this woman came up to him, and she said, Oh, pastor, I've got to confess to you. I've got to confess to you. I have the sin of pride. I always fall in that sin. I have fallen in that sin this morning before I came to church. He said, tell me about it. She said, well, I just stood there in front of the mirror for one hour just admiring my beauty. And the pastor pondered for a moment, and then he said, that lady, that is not pride. That's imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I told you some people are confused. But today I want to talk to you about good pride. 
Good pride. You say, is there a good pride? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you all about it today. It is the 12th principle in the 15 principles of the secret of positive living. Please turn in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Right in the last two verses, verses 17 and 18, Paul literally, in a loud voice, if he was speaking, he would have been yelling, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. He spends the whole chapter, chapter 10, giving you the characteristics of good pride. And then he comes right in the last two verses, and he's saying, that is a good pride, and you can take pride in it. After describing these characteristics, the Apostle Paul comes in and he says, listen, let me tell you about this boasting. Let me tell you about this bragging. Let me tell you about this type of pride. It is a pride that you can display till your heart's content. It is the kind of pride that you can exhibit and you can brag about without worry. It is the kind of pride that you can enjoy without guilt. This is the kind of pride, he said, that you can revel in it, that you can live in it, that you can delight in it. Let him who wants to brag, brag on the Lord. Let him who wants to boast, boast in the Lord. Let him who wants to take pride, take pride in the Lord. And so, he gives us those three characteristics. They're probably more, but those are the summary of the characteristics of good pride, as you find them in this chapter, chapter 10. First, he said, this kind of good pride exhibits mercy, verses 1 to 6. Secondly, he said, this kind of pride, it's a pride that builds up, verses 7 to 11. Thirdly, he said, this kind of pride is tenacious, verses 12 to 18. It is the kind of pride that exhibits mercy. You see, the difference between good pride and bad pride is very clear. Bad pride always seeks personal vengeance. Bad pride always wants to suck it to them. Bad pride says, show no mercy. Bad pride says, destroy them and wipe them out. But good pride says, be gentle. Be gracious. Be patient. Look at verse 1. In the gentleness, or in some translations you have meekness, of Christ, I appeal to you. Please listen carefully. Most people everywhere are confused about the difference between weakness and meekness. In fact, I dare say, if you walk down the street and you ask the average person, he will tell you that meekness means weakness. And the truth is, they are opposites. They could not be further from each other, because meekness means power. Not weakness, it means power under control. Meekness is when you have the upper hand to hurt your opponent, but you choose not to. Meekness is when you are in a position of strength against your critic, Ah, but you choose not to use it. 
You say, well, Michael, Michael, this is unrealistic. You don't live in the real world. Well, that's true in, in many ways, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, you say, this doesn't work in business. It doesn't work in the real world. It doesn't work in politics. It doesn't work in, in, in the world that I live in. I don't make the rules. I only try to obey them. That's the bottom line. Listen, questioning meekness or confusing it with weakness is not unique to our culture. For generations, for thousands of years, that is the case. Back in the Roman culture where Paul lived, it was the case. People have always confused weakness with meekness. Isn't, this is nothing new. They have misunderstood Paul's mercy and compassion as lack of confidence. That's what he's trying to answer here. They have misinterpreted Paul's genuine humility with cowardness. That's what they were calling him, really. They have misinterpreted Paul's power under control for having no power at all. Now, here's something I don't want you to miss. The world will never, never, never understand this. So don't even try. The person who is bold in the truth and in the proclamation of the truth and in upholding the truth is always going to be seen in the world as arrogant, is going to be seen as judgmental, is going to be seen as intolerant, is going to be seen as bigot. So the world is never going to understand this incredible dichotomy in which we're called to live. And Paul is saying to them, listen, good pride is who God is, not who I am. I don't matter. (laughs) And that made him bold in the proclamation of the truth. But at the same time, it gave him compassion. And you see, the two have to go together. Boldness for the truth and compassion have to go together. And that is very confusing to the secular society in which we live. It really is. They think our compassion and they think of our love as a ploy. I remember one time talking to one of the big hierarchy in the mainline church, and and I was gracious to him year after year after year. And he said, what are you up to? (laughs) I said, I'm not up to anything. He said, now this is a ploy. You're trying to win me over. (laughs) I said, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm trying to be obedient to the Word of God. But you see, these folks are saying, Paul, who's bold in front of you, really coward. He is a wimp. That's what they were calling him. And you can imagine this man who faced angry mobs, this man who was stoned almost to death, this man who was faced false imprisonment and shipwreck, this man who was whipped with 39 lashes, this man who looked to King Agrippa in the eye, the most powerful man at his time, and said to him, unless you repent, you're going to face the judgment of God. This courageous man, they're calling him wimp. But you see, their criticism did not bother Paul. You know, all that Paul is concerned about, he's concerned that his friends do not buy into that lie. That's all he's concerned about. He's defending himself here in this chapter. The world will always misinterpret compassion and mercy. And they will always think that we are up to something. Yeah, we're up to loving them because that's what we commanded to do. The world does not comprehend that boldness for the truth and compassion have to go hand in hand. 
I've seen people who are bold for the truth that become abusive and self-righteous. Paul said, I'm not going to do that because I am modeling my Lord Jesus Christ, and He speaks the truth. He is the truth, but He had compassion and mercy. What they didn't comprehend is that Paul himself recognized his own inadequacies, (laughs) that Paul himself knew that his strength did not come from his physique, and yet he was able to take more pain than ten men put together. Paul himself recognized that his strength did not come from his intellect, and yet he was a, an intellectual powerhouse. Paul himself recognized that his strength did not come from his ability to articulate his message, and yet he was the most articulate man of his day. Paul himself recognized that he did not take pride in any of these things, but he took pride in whom he is, to whom he belonged. Look at verse 4. He said, the weapons with which we fight are not the weapons of the world. Listen to me very carefully, please. This is important. The reason so many called modern apologists running around and not leading people to Christ is because they rely on their intellect. They rely on their eloquence. They rely on knowledge. They rely on their power of reasoning. They rely on their clever techniques. Paul said, I don't do that. I don't do that. For my weapons are divinely powerful. My weapons alone can destroy the enemy's strongholds. My weapons, supernatural weapons, can destroy the enemy's fortress. My weapons can divinely inspire to destroy the lies of Satan. My weapons are designed to demolish foolishness. My weapons will put the enemy to shame. You see, Paul understood because as a former guru, religious guru, if you like. His head was full of knowledge, but his heart was not surrendered. As a great philosopher of the Jewish religion, one of the top scholars, all of his knowledge helped to do is build a fortress for which Christ couldn't get in. That's all knowledge does. That's all religion does. That's what ritual does. It just builds a fortress. And people go into it over and over and over again, and they never get penetrated. The gospel doesn't penetrate them. Why? Because it is a fortress, and Paul recognized that. He said, these things have kept me from Christ. In fact, it led him to persecute the followers of Christ. It led him to try to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And that is why only when the Lord Jesus Christ supernaturally pounded on that fortress on the road to Damascus. He was on the floor saying, what do you need, Lord? What do you want me to do? Only the power of the Word of God and not clever arguments that can destroy strongholds. Only the sword of the Word of God, not self-serving and and man-centered arguments, has the power to destroy false belief systems. Beloved, listen to me. The only success that you and I can experience in spiritual warfare is knowing how to wield the sword of the Word of God. That's it. Good pride exhibits mercy. Secondly, good pride builds up. Look at verses 7 to 11. Paul is pleading with the Corinthians 
to examine the evidence objectively. He said, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. He said, don't judge me on the basis of appearance. Don't judge me on the basis of what they say. Well, look at the way I lived among you. Look at the way I lived among my colleagues day and night. Don't look at the outward appearances of, and the false accusations of these false teachers. Examine their life and compare it with mine. He was very open. He was very open. He was not hiding anything. And he said, here's what you should be looking for in a person. Does he or she has a life that's impacting people positively or negatively? Uh, Does he or she edify the body or tears down the body? Does he strengthen the body or weakens the body? Does he or she help others in their spiritual progress or hinder them? That's how you should judge. That's what Paul is saying here. This is how you judge them. Not on how good they look, not on how well they speak, not on on how good they act in public, not on how they play the role. No, 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 no. He says, judge the lives. Paul founded the church in Corinth. Paul led these people to Christ. But these do-gooders who came in after him and began to project themselves to be strong and decisive. They said, you know, we know the truth. We are with it. We are progressive. Uh, We are moving with the times. But not only that. (laughs) They said, you know, godly people like Paul, oh, they're wimps. They are wishy-washy. They call themselves loving. And look at them fighting for the truth. Biblical Christians are backward people. Biblical Christians belong to the dark ages. Biblical Christians, oh, they're not thinkers like us. Look at verse 11. Paul said, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such person as we are also, indeed, when present. I'm the same person, he says. And Paul is saying, listen to me, look at the consistency of my life. Look at my commitment to Christ. Look at my lifestyle. I am the same person in private as I am in public. Paul was saying that I am the same person in speech. I'm the same person in writing. I'm the same person that you encounter wherever you go. My integrity is impeccable. Good pride exhibits mercy. Secondly, good pride builds up. Thirdly, good pride is persistent and tenacious. Do you know what the core meaning of humility is? Do you know what the core meaning of humility is? I have seen that word banded about, (laughs) just like democracy, you know. I want to give you a definition of humility, very short and very, very brief. I pray to God you'll never forget it. Because it will cut down on all the confusion. Because we see somebody, you know, who kind of looks sick and stutters and, uh, you know, kind of can't walk. And said, oh, isn't he humble? No, 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 no. That's not humility. Did you get that? That's not humility. Are you ready for the biblical definition of humility? Here it is. It is a genuine conviction of one's unworthiness of the grace of God. 
The core definition or the core meaning of humility is a genuine conviction of one's unworthiness of the grace of God, and that's it. It does not mean that you be a doormat. No, 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 no. That's not the meaning of humility in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, He said the real humble people are those who can truly say that without the grace of God, I'm spiritually bankrupt. True humility says, I am more than eager to give God all of the credit for everything good that happened in my life. True humility. Humble people are the people who don't hide or rationalize their shortcomings and their sins. Humble people are those who are willing to obey God regardless of the cost. Look at Paul. Look at Paul. He is one man, human being, more than any other human being impacted the church of Jesus Christ. You would agree, right? Very few people impacted the church of Jesus Christ like the Apostle Paul. (laughs) We're studying his epistle right now. If he didn't impact us, then we're in trouble. But look at what he was contended to call himself. He called himself a clay jar. He called himself wretched man. He called himself the least of all the apostles. He called himself the least of all the saints. He called himself the foremost of sinners. Contrast that with the arrogance and the pride of false teachers of his day. And you will understand what he's trying to tell us about good pride. Humility does not mean surrender to the enemies of Christ. Did you get that? Because I think people, I hear people say, well, you know, in humility we need to just not argue the point. In humility we need to just uh, give up and let God take care of it. Where did you get that? Humility does not mean that you surrender to the enemies of Christ. Humility does not mean that you give up the fight for the truth. Humility does not mean that you just fold up your tent to the false teachers and the false teaching and let them walk all over you. No, 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 that's not in my Bible. On the contrary, humility and the exhibiting of good pride, humility and pride of who the Lord is, compels us to be tenacious and uncompromising of the truth. Humility must make us boastful people. Boastful, not in us, not in our accomplishment, not in who we are, but in who Jesus is. Boastful in what? Truth. Boastful in our weakness, but His strength. Boastful in our shortcomings, but His power. Boastful in our utter dependence on Him. Boastful of our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. Good pride means that I'm not going to stand here and talk about my accomplishment, talk about my credentials. Listen to what David said in Psalm 20, verse 7. He said, some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And in Psalm 34, too, he said, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. That's what good pride is all about. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, I have pride. But my pride is in the Lord who loves me, is in the Lord who redeemed me, it's in the Lord who died for me, it's in the Lord who rose again from the dead for me, it's in the Lord who promised to give me victory and triumph, it is in the Lord who promised strength and power in my life, it's in the Lord who is my stronghold and my fortress. That's good pride. That's good pride.
I was thinking about this, and, and I was thinking, you know, it's easy for me, and it's easy for many of you to do this. But perhaps there's one here today, somebody here today who can say, you know, I really can't do this. I can't say that. I can't take pride in the Lord. In fact, I'm angry with the Lord. How can I take pride in Him? I'm angry with Him. I'm mad at God. I can't be proud in the Lord. I prayed once, and I asked the Lord, and He would not answer me. I asked God to give me something, but He would not. I'm angry with God. How can I pride myself in the Lord? Beloved, listen to me. That means that you have never understood what it means to be owned and operated by the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never understood that He and He alone walks with you in the dark valleys as well as in the bright mountaintops, that He loves you, and that even when you walk through the valley, He's walking with you, and He's doing it for a reason. It means that you may never have experienced the sweetness of His Lordship over your life. But you can begin today. You can begin today. And you can begin good pride in who the Lord is. Some think that Christianity and God is just like a slot machine. You know, you put the coin in, and if you don't get what you want, you get mad and you kick the machine. No, friend. No, beloved. No, 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 no. And I know God is speaking to some of you today. He cares for every single hair on your head. And if you have never experienced the sweetness of the fellowship and companionship in the more difficult times in life, you would not be able to know how to brag about the Lord. Because those of us who have experienced all kinds of pain and held onto Him can testify to you that Him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We can brag about Him because He walks with you in the valley. He holds your hand. He carries you. Today you can have good pride. Shall we pray? There may be a person here today and they said, I don't understand what you're talking about, Michael. How can, how can you brag about the Lord when my life has been turned upside down and I asked God to help me and He didn't? My beloved friend, you can come to Him today. You can say, Lord Jesus Christ, I have not experienced you in this way. I have not experienced you the way He's talking about. Well, you can at this very moment. Just ask Him. Take a moment in the silence of this hour and say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life with power. Own me. Operate me. Seal me for your ownership. Help me to see you in the tough times of life and in the joyous times of life. Remove bitterness from my heart. Remove my anger toward you. And help me to develop good pride in who Jesus is. In his name I pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.